Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. You being here shows God that you make, that he is important to you. You making this sacrifice of tuning in to Gospel Saving Church on SoundCloud or on the internet or on Facebook or wherever you're coming from, that shows God that you're making him important to you today. I hope you didn't come here to be entertained. I started saying this just recently. God showed me that. Because you know what? We're not supposed to be coming to church to be entertained. We're supposed to be coming to church to learn more about God. And we're supposed to be coming to church to be fed. You know, I hate to deviate off the topic here too much, but something's on my heart right now. And I normally don't do this. But you know, I, I heard a, a, a pastor on a local radio station that was given a, a part of a sermon and and in the sermon, he gives this part of the sermon where he says, I-, I came to church this week to celebrate marriage. And you know, at first I was like, well, yeah, that's, yeah, marriage is a good thing. But then as I kept hearing this little 30 second or minute clip from this guy, God spoke to me one time and he said, are, we, are you supposed to come to church to celebrate marriage or this or that? I, I thought you're supposed to come to church. To know more about me. To celebrate me. To grow closer to me. And I said, well, Lord, you're right. So I hope today you're only here to get to know more about God. To get to know more about Christ. Not to celebrate marriage or relationship. I mean, those are all wonderful things to celebrate in our lives as a whole. Good godly things. But that's not why we come to church Ladies and gentlemen, not to be entertained, not to celebrate our families, not to celebrate our churches, not to celebrate our marriages, but to celebrate God and to grow closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to learn more about Him. Anyway, I'm done for my little mini little sermon there. If this is your first time listening to me, I'm Pastor Ed. And this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer because I want to know more about God. I hope you want to know more about God. I hope you want to draw closer and nearer to Jesus Christ. So we know the Bible says, and the Bible's my authority, I hope it's yours, that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the only one that can teach us and help us know about God. So we got to pray and ask God to help His, have His Holy Spirit enlighten us today so that we can understand his word today. So we're not just sitting here and going through the motions and listening to just some words. I want us to hear the Lord. Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us words to hear today. Lord Jesus, Lord God Almighty in heaven, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you, Lord God, for your great love. We thank you, Lord God, for your great mercy and your great kindness, Lord God. Your word says that your mercies are new every day, Lord, and I truly believe it, Lord God, is you give sinners, and just like I and my, those that I know who love you, Lord, used to be sinners, you gave us mercy and grace that you gave us a new day that, Lord, one day we came to know you. And you give those that are lost out there every day a new day to, to come and know you, Lord God. You give many, you give a lot of people, Lord God. Some people, it's their time to be up, Lord. I, I pray that any that are listening today, Lord God, if, it's, if, if they don't know you, Lord God, this would be the day that they... Come to know you, Lord God, because this is a new day and your mercies are new today and every day. Lord God, we pray as I asked or as I said earlier to my congregation, Lord God, I pray that you would help us, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit to understand your word. For we know, Lord God, it is only by your Holy Spirit that we can understand your word today. So, Lord God, help us, Lord God. Give us fresh revelation. Help us to have ears to hear what you have to say, Lord God. Please. Lord God, and that may we not just listen to them, may we hear them, and may we be doers, Lord God, of what we hear. Help us, God, to be doers of what we hear today. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, Lord God. Help us. Please help us. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. You guys can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 5 through 18 today, but I'm not going to read them or teach them until I give you my thoughts from last week's message. They have a form of godliness, but deny its or his power. Last week, our main focus was on Saul, right? And those like him who had, and those today who have a form of godliness, but deny his 
power. They were and are those who are super, or I'll say hyper-religious, but they have a religion in their own power. They don't have a religion in God's power. They have a religion in their own power. As they're not born again by God's will, they're, they're, they're born by their own will. And the Bible says that if you're not born by God's will, well, you're not born of God. And then so you don't belong to God, right? And so they don't have God and the Holy Spirit and God's power living within them because they're trying to come to Him outside of a surrendered relationship to Jesus Christ who was God's only plan of salvation and only way He made for mankind to be saved from their sins. He's the only way. Our ways, our friends' ways, a religious way, those ways are not the ways God says to come to Him. Those ways are ways of man. Jesus Christ is the way of God. And in a nutshell, that was our main focus of the sermon. Those of whom I spoke on, whom are like Saul, even today are those that are like those are the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and the Muslims and the Hindus and Buddhists and Catholics and, and all those who think that they're making it right with God by their religious actions and good works in their eyes, of course. Their good works in their eyes. But that's wrong. Because if you have no standard, if your standard is you, and you've got a religion on your own, and you're trying to make it to God by a good religion that you think is good on your own, but that's your standard, you see. That's those good works in your eyes. That doesn't mean those are good works in God's eyes. Sadly, the Bible says that your good works or anybody's good works and religious duties to try to be saved and their disciplines don't bring anyone into a right standing with God or with Jesus Christ. It's just simply the way it is. And again, the Bible, which I've talked about, which is the, a provable and flawless and above all authority book, tells us that anyone that tries to come to God or Christ by their religious ways or good ways will not please God. They just won't. They won't please God, and they won't be saved from their sins, and they will go to hell when they die. Isaiah 64, 6, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. And of course, that's us trying to come to God. That's us trying to make our way to God by those ways. And those ways of ours are just filthy rags before God. Now, I just had to repeat that again today. I know I talked about a lot of that last week, uh, but I want to help you that are listening to get that simple but powerful truth through your hard, thick heads. Because there are so many, really the majority of all religious people in the world that believe that their religious works unto God will grant them eternal life in heaven forever. And so, and if that's so, if that's you, if I'm talking to you out there, whoever you may be, the Bible says to repent. The Bible says that won't get you to heaven. The Bible says that you need Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. And he says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is the only one that can give you rest in eternity and the only one that can, that can give you rest in this life as this life wearies you and as this life is burdensome and as this life is terrible and horrible with its disease and famine and sickness and death. He's the only one that can save you, not your religious deeds, not your religious works. Praise God. Uh, now, that was to those who are trying to get to God that way. Really, because like I said, the majority of people in the world are trying to get to God by their religious works. I, I do have some words, though, and I, and I didn't really talk about this last week, and this is kind of like a little addendum onto this week's sermon, but I, I do have some powerful words for those who are already saved, though. And you know who you are. Those whom are born again that I'm speaking to out there. Those that are who love Jesus Christ and have come to, to God through Jesus Christ and you've been born again and you know you, you've, you've had that experience and you know that you're walking with God and you know that you're saved. And I got some words for you today as well too. You see, our modern churches have been teaching that religion, and the word religion 
is a, is a very, very bad thing. And they teach it, very many churches teach religion in a false light. So much so that even I myself fell to the guise of the teaching about religion because that's what I had been taught. Oh, religion, oh, oh, you have practice of religion. Oh, that's evil. Oh, oh gosh, you know, we don't, relationship with God is not religion, it's relationship. Well, uh, what am I saying here today? Religion, I say this, religion and the practice of it is not evil at the core. If you are truly saved and walking with Christ, that is, you are supposed to have a religious walk unto God. And believe it or not, God wants you, if you're his kid, to walk with him in religious ways. Yes, you heard me right. Listen to the way Merriam-Webster defines religion. It's very simple. The service and worship of God or the supernatural, commitment or devotion to religious faith or observation, a personal set of institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. So your practices of religion are good if you are already a Christian, if you are already saved. Now you say, Pastor Ed, you say religion is not evil, but I've heard my church teach religion is evil, and it's not relationship, it's just works. Well, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that you were created for works. As a Christian, you are saved by grace through faith, and that's all well and good, and that's something that, you know, your faith and God's grace, and you get saved, and boom, that's it. But that's not the end of the story. If you just read on in all the verses, it says that Christians are created for good works, that God, that, that God planned for you before, beforehand that you should walk in them. It's just that simple. And, and, and really, that, and, and work and faith, that makes religion. doesn't make religion unto salvation. It makes, I'm saved and now, okay, got to go to work. You don't get hired at a job and then go sit in the break room for your whole shift and sip a latte. That's how it works in the real world. Why would it be any different for God's kingdom? If religion is evil and terrible and has nothing to do with your walk with God, then please tell me why the Apostle James, one of the chosen 12, referenced religion in his epistle in James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion. Yes, that's right. You heard me right. Pure and undefiled religion. Not pure and undefiled relationship. Excuse me, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. It's to do things. It's to be busy for the faith, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Keep yourself holy. Stay away from the things of evil. Don't even give us an appearance of evil. Stay away. Keep yourself holy. Visit widows and orphans. Do godly things, right? Biblical religion is not evil, Christians. Religion in itself is only bad and evil if it is man-made. And here's the big one. You make it the reason you are right with God. Yes, then it's evil. If I make my religion why I'm okay with God, well, then your religion is evil. That, that's just it. But Christians, religion in itself, if you're born again, you're supposed to walk in religious ways that God called you to walk. Sure, uh, holiness, sacrificial love, evangelism, uh, discipled prayer to God and Christ, not to saints and, the, and Mary, of course, and whatever other good and awesome religious ways God called his kids to walk in after they are saved. And not counting on those works of religion to make you right or keep you right in your relationship with God Almighty and Jesus Christ. That's not why you practice religion. You practice your religion, the religion of the Bible, so that God says, yes, this is what I want you to do. Go to work, my son. I bought you with a price. Now get out there and get busy. Do what I called you to do. So come on, Christians. Be super in love with God in relationship. Be intimate in fellowship and worship Him daily, speaking with Him and let Him speak to you in His Word uh, by His Holy Spirit, worshiping Him in spirit and truth, for He seeks those to worship Him in these ways. That's the relationship end of things. That's where we say, wow, yeah, that's, that's my relationship with God. You know, that's, that's all the lovey-dovey stuff. Oh, that's all the feel-good stuff. That's where I get to get on my knees and worship the Lord and sing a praise song and hallelujah and thank you, Jesus, and I'm filled and everything's wonderful. That's awesome. Man, that's great. But also, Christians, get disciplined in your religion or your service to God of the good and godly works that he has called you 
to do. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, 8 through 10, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of, weeks, not of works lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. And James 1, 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from this world. Christians, there's no excuses. God did not create you a new creation in Christ Jesus for you to sit on the couch and sip a latte and watch a movie all day long. God created you to serve him. That's just it. All right. Well, let's get on to the new title, our new sermon, our new title for our sermon. We got, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited about this sermon. When were they really born again? Question mark. When? Were they really born again? Question mark. So if you guys will please read Acts 8, 5 through 18 with me. We'll start off our sermon with honoring God and keeping his word first. Acts 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Hmm. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw through the laying of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Interesting. When were they really born again? So last week, so last week, we left off last week's message with the disciples in verse 4, scattered abroad and going everywhere, right? Preaching the word of God because of the heavy heat of persecution Saul was bringing against the church. He was on their, uh, he was hot on their trails, entering every house, remember, hauling men and women off and committing them to prison. And praise God, you know, an alternative way to look at that. Yeah, that's all bad. Oh, wow, you know, oh no, the persecution came and, and Saul was persecuting the Christians. But praise God, because although the devil was working hard against God's church to destroy his work of spreading the gospel, God was countering his evil by inspiring his kids to keep preaching. And in actuality, if you think about it, think about this. The devil's work to destroy the church actually furthered the spread of the gospel as the Christians were preaching the word outside of Jerusalem, you see. Up until then, the only word of Christ, the only word of God that had been preached was inside Jerusalem, right? Well, now they were going outside the borders of Jerusalem, and now they were preaching the word of God all over kind of the known world, right? And the Bible doesn't say that God only loved and loves the people in Jerusalem, Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loves the whole world. Well, and if the gospel was only preached in Jerusalem, unless God's kids went out of Jerusalem, then how would those outside of Jerusalem hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, they wouldn't have. You see, unless God sends messengers, unless God's messengers went to tell them, nobody outside of that city would have had the opportunity to be saved. The gospel was given by God to his children to go forth and proclaim to the whole world. God could have chosen any way he wanted to proclaim the gospel, right? Any way he wanted, but he didn't choose any way. He chose his kids, right? Romans 10, 14. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a what? Without a preacher, 
right? And then which is the, which is the great commandment that Jesus Christ gave to his kids, Mark 16, 15. Go therefore in all the world and preach the gospel, which means, as I just said, the gospel or the truth about Jesus Christ does not go forth on its own. God gave this duty again to his kids, to his followers to do this work. Now, I promise you, I, I, I was writing that down in my sermon. Now, I can't say this today, but at the time I was writing it, uh, now that we, we're going to get to our section finally, because I know I didn't start our whole section, but I, I just know I didn't plan on writing that, so I know that God was speaking that to somebody out there that's listening. So I hope that whoever you are that God was talking to there about going therefore into all the world and preaching the gospel, I hope that God convicted you today of that, and as I prayed earlier, that you'll do what God called you to do now, not just hear his word, listen to his words, but that you'd hear his words and obey the things that God has called you to do. So today now, here we're our new section now, we open up our section of scripture with one of the disciples of Jesus Christ fulfilling that great commission he called all of his followers to do. Look at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. You see, First of all, it's important to know who we're talking about. Was this Philip the apostle? Or was this Philip the, uh, the disciple? Well, I believe that this is Philip, one of the chosen ones, the ones that was chosen with Stephen, not Philip the apostle. Why? Well, verse 1 of chapter 8 says that the apostles, remember, stayed in Jerusalem. And that would mean that the original apostle, Philip, would have stayed in Jerusalem. But, but that's not all. Here in Acts 8.14 the apostles who are still in Jerusalem hear of what happens in Samaria with the disciple Philip, not the apostle Philip, and they send the apostles Peter and John. So that's just important to know. I think it's important to know who we're talking about here. Because when I did this study and I really started looking at the scripture, I looked for the first time and I thought, I always just assumed that this was Philip the apostle. But then, well, scripture says the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Well, how could this be the apostle Philip and, and not the disciple Philip? And then I look back to Acts chapter 6, and sure enough, there was a Philip that was anointed, that was given the charge of feeding the, the uh, people, that feeding God's children in, in the daily distribution, if you remember that Acts chapter 6. Anyway, important to know who we're talking about. So getting back, our first verse just told up that Philip, the table server disciple, not the apostle, goes down to Samaria a people group very hated among non-Christian Jews, just non-Messianic Jews, and he preached Christ to them. This speaks volumes about Philip and the kind of man that he really was of God. I'll tell you what. Uh, you see, the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. A non-Christian Jew hated a Samaritan. And, of course, they were just bitter rivalries. If you remember correctly, Jesus talked about, gave that parable about the, the Good Samaritan, right? Well, that was a, that was the story to show us who our, who our brothers really were, right? You know, those Jews at that time would have thought, well, my brother is only my Jew. But yet Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that really meant the Samaritan. And that was really a big stretch for them because they were like, no, Samaritans, we don't like Samaritans. We hate those Samaritans. But the, the Samaritan came and, and they were forced. And Jesus said, well, who was the one that was the brother? Because the good Samaritan had, was the one that found the, the, the Jew that had been beat up and robbed on the side of the road. And he's the one that kind of saved him, right? Well, that's who Jesus was talking about. He wants us to love. And that love is meant for everybody, not just for those whom are in our church or those who are our kind of race or those who are our kind of color. That love is for all, right? So Philip was a really awesome man of God. Praise God that his faith, that this faithful disciple of Christ didn't have the prejudices that his forefathers had against their Samaritan neighbors. That you know but you may know this, you may not. But I mean, if you're a young Christian, you may not know this. But did you know that there's no room in true Christians' hearts for racism? Amen. There's no room in a true Christian's heart for prejudices. And that's, well, my race or my people or because I'm this, well, I'm better than you. And I think of a doctrine out there, a doctrine that says, well, God only came to save the elect. Well, that, to me, just when I look at that doctrine, and this is not even in my notes, I just, I just thought about it just now, though, and, and, and a Christian's heart not being any room for racism or prejudices, when, when you say, well, God only came for the elect, well, what, that just makes for pride. That just makes for, well, I'm, I can walk around exalted because, 
Well, God just came for the elect. Wow. Anyway, there's no room in a Christian's heart, a true Christian's heart, for racism. You are not more valuable than any other person. We are all people, and God loves us all. And remember, for God so loved the world. John 3, right? Well, who are the people of the world? Aren't they white and black and Jew and Chinese and Mexican and Russian and Australian and Portuguese and Spanish? Aren't we all of the world? Of course we are. Which means that the Bible says God so loves everyone. 1 John 4, 8, he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. It's just that simple. Now, now please understand, just because God so loves the world doesn't mean that you're okay with God. It doesn't mean, well, well God loves the whole world, well, then everybody's saved. Eh. That's not kind of how it works, right? God so loves the world and he offers his salvation to the whole world, but that doesn't mean that everybody in the world, the Bible says, is saved or okay in God's eyes. You have to respond to God's love. It's no different than if a young boy or a young girl likes another young boy and likes another young girl and they want to have a relationship together. Well, that young boy goes up to that young girl and he says, hey, uh, Susie, hi, you know, I'd like to talk to you and have a cup of coffee. Well, she says, no, get out of my face. And she walks away. Well, then their love's not going to be consummated in any kind of marriage, right? She's walking away. Well, that's what people are doing right now. God says, I love you, my son, my daughter. Well, people, I don't want that. And they leave. They walk away. Well, yes, God loves you. But until you respond to that love, until you receive that love, until you turn to him in that love, then you're not okay with God because he loves. Loves ha- love to be together has to be on both sides, not just one. And we see, and we see this example of God's very love for everyone in verse 5 with the fact that he put this love in Philip's heart to go preach Christ to those whom most Jews would have spit on. For God is love. God loves everyone. And pretty much all Jews pretty much hated Samaritans. And if God did not truly love everyone, Philip would have not gone down to preach Christ to those so hated of a nation by his people. So kudos, kudos to Philip. Philip, out of love, God's love, goes to Samaria. But how do the, and, and he preaches Christ to them. The ultimate sacrifice of love, right? Because we know as Christians, and Philip knew then as, as a Christian, that when you go somewhere, people are going to reject you when you preach Christ to them. So that's even a double form of love, right? He goes, he preaches love. It's a double form of love. But how do they respond to the good news of Jesus Christ that Philip gives them. Are they racist against Philip because he's a Jew? Look at verse 6. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Wow. So he goes to the Samaritans in the power of God's Holy Spirit, does supernatural miracles amongst them. What kind of miracles does he do? Look to verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Pretty powerful. Pretty, pretty, pretty powerful indeed. Jesus Christ, if you remember, I remember a sermon that I did not too long ago, or, well, some years back now, where the, the main reason why Christ did all these miracles is to get people's attention so that they would turn to him. And we see that, that he was still doing them here through Philip, as he still does them today. God still does lots of miracles in this world. And what's the main reason of it? Of course, God loves people and does those miracles because he loves them, but he also does those miracles so that it gets their attention so that they turn to him gets their attention. And there's nothing like getting somebody's attention by doing a miracle, right? That gets people's attention right away. And these people see the awesome miracles and hear the supernatural message of the love of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for them. And they accept the message of Christ. They accept his message. And I see them repent here. I see them turn to the Lord. I don't just see them just say, oh, that's just nice. Oh, what a wonderful Jesus. No, when it says they heeded the things of Philip, that means that they turned to Christ when he, you know, because of course Philip's message would have been turn to Christ. He's the Savior of the world. He died for your sins. He loves you. Come to him, you know, turn to him. And so it says they heeded his message, which means they turned to Jesus Christ. They did what he said that they should do for salvation. Did you know 
This is how God desires all people to respond when he presents the truth of who Jesus Christ is and his love to you. Explain. That means that even today, when you hear the gospel, when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, when you hear the, oh, God loves you and God wants to save you, please turn to Jesus Christ. God wants you then today also to not just, oh, that's just what a nice thought that is. Oh, well, that's, that's kind. I'm glad God did that. No, God wants you to repent. God wants you to turn to Christ the same as these people, these Samaritans did here with the preaching of Philip. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, his son slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is a change of heart toward who Jesus is. Not just a nice belief in your mind, but a change of heart. Oh, you know what? Oh, he loved me. Well, I need him. I need Jesus Christ. And then a turning to him. Away from self-lordship. Away from I'm the master of my own destiny. To I need Jesus. Jesus Christ, I I need you. Please, I want to be your, I want to be yours. Anyway, so Philip breaks all the norms of his lineage and his people, the Jews, and out of pure love, he goes to the Samaritans, those terribly hated by his whole nation, and he preaches Christ to them. They receive the message of Christ, he brings them, and they repent. And they turn to Christ Jesus, and in biblical terms, to me, I see them, they get saved. They get born again. Uh, And because I do believe that they do get born again here, look at the overall attitude of the Samaritans. Look at verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. You better bet your bottom dollar that there was. Praise God, there was great joy in that city. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty is freedom. Freedom brings great joy. Praise God. I'll never forget when I was first born again. And, and I, God saved me and he put his Holy Spirit in me. And there was no pops and no bangs and no, no loud whistles and no tongues and no this, that, and the other thing. But what there was was I felt like I was in literal heaven. I can't even tell you how long. I was just in like perfect peace. I, nothing else on this earth mattered. I was in heaven literally and heaven was all around me literally. And I'll never forget that I, I wept. I literally wept for the joy and the gladness that was filling my heart and my mind and all my being. And I felt like I was a new person. Bible says I was. This is what happens to you when you become born again. You literally become a new creation, or I'll say a new creature uh, in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's literally what happens to you when you become born again. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, you, you, and, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So we see when we know when the Holy Spirit comes to us and when we're born again, if you've had that experience, you know that great joy comes to you when that happens to you, right? And, and between verses 6, with the multitudes with one accord, heeding the things spoken by Philip, and verse 8, there being great joy in the city, plus there's more, I'll get to them, with what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, I believe that these people became born again and saved at that moment. Whatever moment it was that they heeded the things of Philip and they turned their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, there's always a but, right? But, you can make the case here, as I do believe many have, as you keep reading, that these people at this point weren't saved and born again and that their salvation didn't come until later. So let's keep reading some more scripture and you can make up your own mind and have an opinion on whether or not they have already truly been saved here or they get saved or become born again later. Let's keep reading. Look at verses 9 through 11. But, verse 9, there's the, there's that doggone but... Uh, but Luke gives us a little backstory here. There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery. That's very important. That shows me that one of the reasons that these people were born again was notice it says he previously practiced sorcery, right? When you come to Christ, one of the things that God doesn't allow you to keep doing is living in sin. 
And this guy practiced sorcery, right? And it notice it said he previously practiced sorcery, which means that he also believed the scripture is going to tell us and that he stopped practicing, practicing sorcery, which means he turned to the Lord as well too. So he previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria. His, his, whatever he was doing, and don't tell me that real black magic here is not true. The, the Pharaoh called upon his, his, uh, his sorcerers and his uh, magicians in Egypt, and they did supernatural things that Moses did by the power of God, and the sorcerers of Egypt did these evil things too. So this Simon, he practiced such sorcery that he astonished all the people of Samaria. He did real, real black magic here, okay? Claiming, now here he claimed that he was someone great. Verse 10, to whom they all gave heed, which means that they, they were kind of like he, they held him up. Basically, he was like a little mini God for them. He was like a little mini idol, right? He, uh, they gave him heed from the least to the greatest. This man, and they said of this man, he is the great power of God. So they held him up kind of like a mini deity. Hey, this guy, he's from God. He's like a God. He's doing all these miracles. He's doing all these awesome things. He's like a God. And they heeded him, verse 11, because he had astonished them with many sorceries for a long time. Again, don't tell me that the sorceries that we're talking about him doing here weren't real black magic. I absolutely believe that that stuff is real. Uh, just because... We know God does magic, and we know we see in the book of Revelation that the devil will also do many things to deceive people, many supernatural things through the false prophets. So black magic is real. Be warned. Look at verses 12 and 13. But when they, here's another form of repentance that I see, believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. That's huge. That's huge. That means that when they heeded Philip, when they believed in Philip, that they showed that they really, to me, I see real repentance because you, you can't see real repentance in the heart, but when you can see real repentance is in the outward actions. And what I see here is that they believed Philip and then they were baptized. They did immediately, they started doing the things that God told them to do, be baptized, right? Which means that they stopped, this is important, they stopped heeding or worshiping Simon as a mini-God and having the power of God, and they changed, they had a change of heart toward Christ Jesus, and they believed upon him. Again, I see this as total repentance. They, this is, repentance happens in the heart, and true repentance comes out in the outward. And that's what I see. Uh, verse 13, Then Simon himself, listen to this, also believed. And when he was baptized, so he believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was baptized, and, and which, was, which is a fruit of, of, of true repentance. And then look, he continued with Philip. That's, that's huge, which means that he continued with him. He kind of became Philip's disciple. So what did Jesus say? Make disciples of all nations, right? He became a disciple of Philip. And he was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, their being really born again was leading them to righteous actions of repentance, unto obedience, uh, to do what God and Jesus Christ had told them to do. Believing upon the name of Jesus Christ, not worshiping Simon anymore, getting baptized, and following the things that Philip said to do concerning Jesus Christ. To me again, more evidence that these people were really had really been born again at this point. But, there's always a but, were they really? And why do I say this? Well, because look at the following verses, verses 14 through 17. Let's read them. And now we have to, now we have, now there's going to be like a, be like a clashing, right? They're going to be like, wait a minute now, Pastor Ed, what you said is not true. Look, verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that, uh, that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, apostles, remember, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Oh, ouch. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received 
the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute here. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. How could we have read of all those proofs of there being new creations and new creatures in Christ Jesus and bearing all those fruits of the repentance and of the joy that they experience because of God's Holy Spirit seemingly in and among them that comes along with being new creatures in Christ Jesus? Yet here in, in, in verse 15 and 16 and 17, Luke tells us that the apostles had to pray for them to God that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, by all the fruits that they had borne all these verses, it sure sounded to me like they were already born again, like they had been saved and received God's Holy Spirit. But is that correct? What's your opinion? I mean, opinions have no authority, but certainly maybe I'm wrong looking at the Scripture. What do you think? Well, before you formulate one, the topic of this idea of receiving God's Holy Spirit and being born again and what it means is kind of confusing. It's kind of a little a bit of a tricky area in Scripture in the Bible and can be easily misunderstood if not looked at very carefully. Now, so let's look at this subject carefully so we can examine the truth of the matter and, and see if they were really saved already before the apostles came or if they got saved afterwards, shall we? You see, the Bible talks about two different kinds of receiving God's Holy Spirit and unfortunately, it doesn't really make any huge differentiation upon the two, and it doesn't really give much explanation on what happens. Uh, number one, in Acts 2, we have the apostles receiving God's Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. Listen to just one of the times that the apostles here received the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And of course, this was a fulfillment of what Christ had said that they should wait for in Jerusalem in Acts 1, 4-5. Remember, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, from, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. now. Now, this is the place where the apostles were filled and received God's Holy Spirit. Now, notice this filling was one where he gave them the ability to speak with different languages, right? This Acts chapter 2 filling with they, they, tongues sat on each of their heads. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in many languages. It was a powerful scene. Um, remember, all the people gathered together. Uh, now, this is where you say, Pastor Ed, the word received there, Holy Spirit, was not even in that text at all. So you didn't prove to us that they received the Holy Spirit there. You just showed us that they were all filled with His Holy Spirit. Well, good point. Later on in that same section, Acts 1, remember the, all the people had gathered below the window because they heard all this rushing wind and they heard all, this, all these languages and they all came to understand what, you know, what was going on in the house. And look at what Peter says happened, Acts 2, 32-33. This Jesus, Peter says, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out on us this which you now see and hear. Peter referred to this, them getting the Holy Spirit at this point, them receiving the Holy Spirit, but we know this receiving the Holy Spirit was only for them to get these gifts of the Holy Spirit. There we do see Peter acknowledge that they received God's Holy Spirit, not unto being born again, but to have these abilities, these supernatural abilities from God to do the work that God gave them to do. So did the disciples in Acts chapter 2 just receive salvation and become born again at the day of Pentecost? Is that the first time that the apostles received God's Holy Spirit to be born again, or were they saved earlier than this? Well, look at what Scripture says. In John 20, remember Jesus had just died. The apostles, the, the 11 of them now, remember Judas had already killed himself. The apostles kind of go away and they hide in this room somewhere in Jerusalem. Well, Jesus comes amongst them, and in John 20, 21, he has some things to tell them. He tells them a bunch of things, but in 2021, he says this, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
So here, this is way before Acts chapter 2, and they received the Holy Spirit here. You see, John 20 happened way before the day of Pentecost. And, and it was then truly the apostles were born again, hands down. But notice, when they were born again, that's what the scripture says, nothing really wild or crazy or supernatural happened to them, like Acts chapter 2, right? When they received the Holy Spirit to get the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Also notice that the disciples experienced two different receiving of the Holy Spirit. Two different times. John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 2. And it both says that they received the Holy Spirit, but they did it two different times. One in John 20 and one in Acts 2. Did they get saved twice? Well, that doesn't make sense. The Bible says you're you only get saved once. You're born again once. You're saved. You're sealed, right? But they couldn't have gotten saved twice. Well, absolutely not. So why not twice? Well, you see, there's two different types of the Holy Spirit coming and receiving that we see in Scripture. There's one in John 20 where they received it, but they, he, he, they, he said Jesus had received the Holy Spirit. They received God's Holy Spirit inside of them. That's where they were born again. That's where they were sealed by God's Holy Spirit. There was no outward action of that, though, except for their outward works of repentance that happened after that as they were willing to go do the things that Jesus called them to do. And then you have the other receiving of the Holy Spirit, like in Acts chapter 2, where there was like a, they were received it, but it kind of, he kind of came upon them. And he came upon them so that they could do what? They could have the supernatural works of the Spirit to do the work that God gave them to do. But Scripture doesn't make a huge distinction between the receiving of the Holy Spirit unto being born again and the receiving of the Holy Spirit unto receiving the supernatural gifts of God uh, so they can do the work for him. But it doesn't. It doesn't. We just see the, the differences in Scripture. And we see what happened as a result of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, with all that in mind, keep all that in mind, let's come back to the Samaritans in Acts 8 and whether or not they were born again before the apostles laid hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit or not. Have you made up your mind yet? Have you? I wonder if you have. I know I have, but what do you think? Well, I believe they became saved and born again when they heeded the words of the disciple Philip, so that they had the uh, coming within. There, there's two different types. There's a coming within and a coming upon. And I believe when they heeded the words of Philip, they had the coming within at that point. And when the apostles had come and they laid hands on them later on, I believe it was because that they could receive the coming upon of the Holy Spirit to do the supernatural works that God wants and calls his kids to do. But the last case I will make for what I believe really happened to Samaritans with Philip and the apostles coming later is within the next few uh, scriptures, examples that I'm going to give you for this topic. Acts chapter 10, we read about another time. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 47, we read about another time of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Now, now listen to what happened when they received the Holy Spirit and, and look what happened at this time. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for listen, right? They heard the word, then they saw the Holy Spirit falling upon them. What did they see as a result of the Holy Spirit falling upon them? For, verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, in this case, I believe that they had both. They had both the coming within and they had the coming upon. Because they, uh, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. So that it, through the inward work of the Holy Spirit, they believed and then they were born again. And then they had the coming upon when they heard him speak with the tongues and magnify God. I believe they had both. Then Peter answered, verse 47, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? They, now, they didn't talk about any receiving of the Holy Spirit where they were with Jesus and he said receive the Holy Spirit and they just, it just, he just came within them. But he's referencing Acts chapter 2, where they received the Holy Spirit just as he had, meaning that they started speaking with tongues and it was a wild and crazy time. And our last verse of today, we see the coming upon in our verse 18. Now, I'm not going to study the whole verse 18 today. I'm going to save most of it for next week. But look at verse 18 of today, our last verse, just to show you that 
here we do see that the apostles laid their hands on these Samaritans and that they did receive the Holy Spirit to having the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Look at 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, well, how did he know it was given? How did he know it was given? He offered them money saying, give me this power also. All of a sudden, the Samaritans started speaking with tongues and they started exhibiting all this power because Simon saw it. Simon saw this power that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And he was talking about, of course, the falling upon word that now they have the supernatural gifts to do the work, to go to in all the world and, and do God, what God told them to do in God's Holy Spirit power. The main difference I see between the receiving of God's Holy Spirit to be born again coming within and having his supernatural power to do amazing works and have spiritual gifts the coming upon is that when the Holy Spirit comes to make someone born again, there's no great outward showing of power. There's no great outward showing of miracles, even with the apostles. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Nothing happened. It just, it just happened. They believed, boom, they were born again, right? Uh, and, and to do the miracles. And there was no outward showing of power and miracles. It's with the coming of the Holy Spirit to give those supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit to do the work. Scripturally, with the Holy Spirit coming to make people born again, there was just the fruit of the changed life of the believer. Uh, they bear the fruit of God's Holy Spirit by their desire to be baptized, to follow his disciples, to stop living in sin willfully, following evil sorcerers, etc., Exactly like the example that God gives us with the two thieves on the cross next to, next to Jesus on, on, a, on the hill when Christ was being crucified. Matthew chapter 27, verses 38 through 44, it says, the Bible says, basically I'm going to sum it up. All who walked by Christ when he was hanging on the cross being crucified, including the chief priests, all reviled Jesus and spoke evil of him, as well it does add as both of the thieves that do this. How terrible, just as an aside, how terrible must it must have been for Christ that he was sitting there on the cross and he's being crucified and he's six hours up there and tortured. And then on top of that, you have the two people that are really guilty. You know you're innocent, but you know they're really guilty. And they're sitting next to you and they're, they're, and they're blaspheming you. They're talking smack about you. They're talking evil of you. They're talking bad about you. Wow, what love that he showed and what terrible terrible conditions that he really was in. Yet now, back to our topic, yet in Luke 23, verse 39, the good news is, is that there was salvation on that hill. There was salvation on these hill. As Luke tells us in his, in his gospel, that one of these criminals persisted to blaspheme Christ, which is sad, while the other, verse 40, had a change of heart. Verse 40, but the other answer, uh, answering rebuked him as the other one blasphemed him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, speaking of Christ, has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then what did Jesus say afterwards? Assuredly, I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. So that man got saved, right? That man got saved. Yet there was no, guess what? There was no supernatural bangs. There were no pops. He didn't speak in any supernatural languages. He wasn't baptized. But what did he do? What happened in that man's life? How do we, where one, we know he was saved because Jesus told us he was saved. So there, there's no hands down. Jesus said, you're going to be with me, therefore he's with him. You know, we don't need anybody. To, well, you know, uh, the, the, you know, theologically, we didn't see him. No, 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 no. Jesus said, you're saved. He was saved. But, but I, but you, but, but you got to be baptized to be saved. Oh, well, this, this guy wasn't baptized. Yeah, Jesus said, you're going to be with me anyway. But what did we see? Outside of Jesus saying that he, was, that he got saved, what else did we see that we know for sure that he had the coming within of the Holy Spirit? Well, he showed an outward change. He showed repentance. He spoke kindly of Christ. He rebuked the other thief, right? And then he pleaded with God, saying, Oh God, remember me, which means that he turned to Christ. So we, I believe, I know he was saved, so I believe that here he had the coming within of the Holy Spirit, that, that change of heart toward Christ. And therefore, I know that he was born again, despite all theological thoughts about this guy. Jesus said, you're going to be with me. So we know he was saved. We know he became born again. 
We know at some point the Holy Spirit came within him because we know the scripture says, and unless you're born again, you're not seeing the kingdom of God. So if you're not saved, you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. This guy here, Jesus said, you're going to be with me, which means that somehow the Holy Spirit came without him. He received the Holy Spirit right here at this point, even though nothing outward happened, right? He, except for he exhibited the fruit of repentance. Wow. So back to the Samaritans and whether they had been born again before the apostles showed up or not, I believe that because of all of the fruits that they bore after they heeded what Philip taught, like the criminal bore after he had a change of heart towards Christ, I do believe that they all became born again and saved and they had the coming within before the apostles came and laid their hands on them. And I do believe uh, that this laying on of the hands of the apostles uh, for the Samaritans in verses 16 and 17 was for them to receive God's Holy Spirit, to receive the coming upon, for them to receive the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit as Simon saw that great power was poured out upon them. So, Because remember, with the coming upon, there was a great power that was shown. There was great some kind of miracles and languages and all this kind of stuff. Yet with the being born again... Well, it was just an outward show of repentance that just kind of happened and we didn't see any big great pops and bangs and so on and so forth. But I, so anyway, I, I do believe that they were saved, but um, you, know, you may hold a different opinion. I, I do believe the scripture shows us this clearly, uh, but, th but this topic did take some in-depth research and some in-depth looks. And I got to tell you, I just love digging in the Bible. I just love digging for treasures, right? I just, just love it. I, you, you can just read the Bible over, or you can read it, and then you can dig. And when you dig, boy, you really find some awesome th stuff. But here's the deal. Whatever opinion, or whether you believe the Samaritans did or didn't have the coming within of the Holy Spirit to be saved and born again before the apostles came in Acts 8, 16, 17, there is one thing we know for sure. And, and we're going to be closing here on this. At some point in this time period, the Samaritans received God's Holy Spirit for sure and experienced the coming within, and, I, and we see the coming upon too, but they received the coming within to be born again. That means that the God of the universe, Jehovah and His Son, Jesus the Christ, and His Holy Spirit came to live inside of them, and they experienced the real reality of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Isn't that awesome that they experienced this? Wow. Why do I think this is awesome? Well, does being born again have a significance to mankind? And if so, what significance? Well, Jesus Christ said in John 3, verses 3 and 5, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That means that if someone, you, me, your friend, anybody in the world, are not born again, then we're going to go to hell. That's what that means. If you're not born again, you're going to go to hell when you die, and you're not going to go to heaven to stay. So I'd say that being born again has tremendous significance to every man, woman, or child all over the world. An eternal one a supernatural, eternal one. And that's why I'm so excited for the Samaritans here in Acts 8. For again, if you're not born again, you're not going to go to heaven to stay when you die. So today, we always look at Scripture, but we always need to take a look at ourselves too. So I have a question for you. All that are listening to me all over the world today, knowing what we just read, are you born again today? Are you born again? Have you had the coming within of God's Holy Spirit in your life right now? It is an eternal question that matters for the rest of your forever. You see, you will live forever. Not, not in this body, of course, but you will live forever somewhere. That somewhere will either be heaven or it'll be hell, but you will live forever Somewhere, your soul, your eternal soul, which lives in you right now, your consciousness will live on forever. It'll be in heaven or it'll be in hell. Most think that they're going to spend their eternity in heaven, but unfortunately, they're wrong, the Bible says. For few that I have ever met in over 35 years of knowing anything about anything, and by that I mean even before I was born again, 
Even before I was saved, even before I was a, a new regenerated person, I kind of knew the people that I met. I can, and I can remember those that, that really, I would say, wow, they're really a weird person. They're, well, they love that Jesus guy and all they talk about that. And I could tell the difference between just a normal person and somebody that was born again. I didn't know that term, but I knew the difference between somebody that was born again and somebody that was not born again, right? And so anytime I've known anything about anything for my whole life, and I knew those that were born again from those that weren't born again, even though I didn't know the term. I only ever saw, in over 35 years, I'm 42, this you know, brings me back to very young, and I only ever saw just a handful, if that, of people that I ever met in the last 35 years of my life that I would ever say, wow, that person, wow, they were, oh, they were born again, oh, they love that. I don't know, there's something special about them. I don't, you know, something, wow, right? I'd only say that about a handful. So are you born again today? And if so, how do you know? This is the most important question that you'll ever have to ask yourself in this life. Well, it's not mysterious at all because God and Jesus Christ, they want you to know. They want you to know if you're born again or not. This is an eternal thing. If you're not born again, you're not going to heaven. If you're born again, you're going to heaven. So how do you know? Really, you just have to ask yourself and examine yourself upon this one question. Just one, just one. Have you followed the command of Christ in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24? He says this, For anyone desire, anyone, If anyone desires to come after me, that, that means that you've, you've, you have a belief in him. You're not going to want to turn to him if you don't believe in him. So belief comes first. Always belief comes first. Yeah, yes, uh, yes, Pastor. And, oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, okay, so then if you believe... If you desire to come after him, he says, let him deny himself. What does this mean, deny himself? Well, that means not only do you believe in him, have you turned to him? Have you given your life to him, modern day terms? Have you surrendered to his lordship? He's calling everybody. Have you received his calling? Have you turned to him? Have you put your heart, have you put your life in his hands? And have you made him the master of your life? Do you obey, do you strive to obey the things that he called you to do? Or do you live your life for you? Are you concerned about his words? Do you make his words important to you? Or do you just live for you. Have you truly, in your heart of hearts, fallen down on your knees and cried out to Jesus Christ and said, please save me. I need you. Please, I want to be yours. Please, I want you to be my master. Have you done that? Not just had a belief, because Jesus goes way beyond belief here. Belief, true belief, will lead to this, but just a belief in Jesus Christ does not lead to you surrendering in your hearts. Then if you have truly surrendered and made him your master, just, just like we looked at today, just like we looked at with the thief on the cross, right? Just like we looked at with the Samaritans, what do they do? That, that, that belief, that true surrender in their heart caused them to do something. If you have really believed and surrendered to Jesus Christ, then you should be bearing the fruits of what he said next, just as those we looked at in Scripture. Look, look what he said next. If you really believe in me, if you've really surrendered to me, and he says, and take up your cross. That, that means he's going to start winnowing out the sin in your life. And that means that if you're born again and you're saved and you really love him, you're going to let him do it. You're going to start going no to that sinful flesh stuff. You're going to say no to that idolatry stuff. You're going to start saying, well, I can enjoy all things, but boy, boy, Jesus is my Lord and nothing shall rule over me. Nothing. I shall have nothing to rule over me. You'll take up your cross. You'll crucify your flesh every day. Sin will get less and less and less, and righteousness will get more and more and more. Now, it is a true saying. True Christians never stop sinning, but, but they certainly, as time goes on, they sin less. They don't become sinless perfect, but they certainly, as time goes on, they, be, they certainly sin less as they continue to live, and it's called sanctification. And that's what Jesus says here. Take up your cross. Have, is that you? And then the last thing he says, 
Okay, so you've surrendered to me. You're denying yourself. You're turning away from sinful things. Now he says, follow me. Are you following his words? Do you make a decision every day in your life to see the words that he says, read his words, and then to do them? Or do you just read his words? I'll oh, just read them over. All oh, those are nice words. It's good. Wonderful. Or do they make an impact in your life? Do they change you? Are you changed by his words? Please examine your heart and life today to see if you've really been converted to Christ and become born again. Jesus' disciples brought him some young kids one time. And he, he was like, no, 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 no. Or, or I'm sorry, people brought some young children to Jesus. And his disciples were like, no, 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 no. And Jesus said, wait. He rebuked them. And he said, what are you doing? Bring him here to me. For as such is the kingdom of God. And in another place he said, unless you be converted, means that there's a change, right? Not just the same you, but just a, a belief. Unless you be converted and become as a little child, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So please, ladies and gentlemen, today, examine your heart and life to see if you've really been converted to Christ and you've really become born again and you've really had the coming within. Having that change of heart towards Christ and that life change that comes because you become a new creature in Him. Because, and the reason that's important to examine yourself, the reason that's so important, Jesus said in Matthew 7, that there are few that find eternal life and many will go the way of destruction. Few, ladies and gentlemen, are you one of the few? <laughs> and if you stand there or sit there or listen to me today and you say, well, Pastor Ed, I'm, ju I'm just not sure, then I want you to ask yourself this. If you're not sure that you're hired at a job, do you have the job yet? Do you know for sure that you've got the job? Well, no. Until you know that you got the job, you don't know that you're hired for sure. So if you don't know if this has happened to you, chances are you haven't been hired by God. That's just the reality of it. Seek Him. Search Him. Ask Him. God, hire me. Bow down. Get on your knees. Fall on your face. Turn to Christ. Cry out to Him right now and tell Him, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Please save me. I want to be born again like that, Pastor. I want to be a new creature. I don't want to just have a belief in you. I want to be a new creature in you. I want you to rule my life. I want you to be my master. I don't just want to believe in you. Please. That's what God wants for you. He desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Let's pray. God, thank you for your words today, Lord. God, thank you for... All the things that we saw with Philip, Lord, all the things that we saw about the, the tender hearts of the Samaritans, Lord God, that they, they had tender hearts, Lord God, and they saw the things that Philip did, and they turned to Christ. And I do believe that they were saved, Lord. Now, whether they were saved or not at that point or not, really, it doesn't matter, really, Lord. We know that in the Scripture says that they were at some point. They received, even, even though, you know, we, we may hold different theological opinions on it, but we know there's one thing for sure that's important. Whether or not, whenever it happened, Lord, we know that they were. And we know that being born again has a huge significance in our lives. Because if we're not born again, Lord God in heaven, then we're not going to be with you forever. And we're going to be in hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So God, please, Lord God, any that are out there listening to this message today, Lord God, if they're not born again, Lord God, I pray that they would examine themselves. And if they're not born again, Lord God, I pray, dear God, that they would turn to you and they would turn their eyes to heaven and cry out to you and ask you to save them and ask you to be their master and surrender their lives to you and give themselves to you. Please, dear God, I pray this all and I ask this all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.